0: I want people to look at me, and you should have people look at you and see the Lord inside of you.
1: Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now, here's Pastor Steve with today's core truth. We're going to be in Ephesians
0: chapter 5, and I entitled this message Get Up and Go. Get Up and Go. Well, that's something that I think we all do every day, do we not? I mean, we get up out of bed and we go. And I hope that since you have been going all day, you can stay awake through this message here tonight. But to get up in the morning means to arouse from your sleep, right? It's to stir yourself. It's to get yourself ready. And then, of course, to go means to change from doing nothing to doing something, So really, both of these words are very similar, the get up and the go. They both are action words, and they both encourage us to move. They both require involvement. They both require us to just do something. And one thing for sure, if we're going to have any impact on the world in which we live that's filled now with fear and COVID and all the other things, we can no longer be, as believers, asleep in the light and awake in the dark. Yes, we must all wake up and arise from any spiritual slumber that some of us maybe have fallen into. You know, in the fairy tale about Rip Van Winkle, it was said that he laid down to take a nap. And he slept for 20 years. I wonder if that is any different for certain Christians who have chosen to never really live out their faith. I wonder if they too will not wake up after being a believer for 20 years and realize that possibly they wasted and squandered some of their life. How sad if the day we walk into heaven, we only had the same impact that Sleeping Beauty had when she slept for, well, 100 years. And She had no impact. And speaking of sleep, most of us use our phones as an alarm to wake up. At least I do. But remember how we used to have alarm clocks that we used to set. But for those that have everything, maybe this Christmas, you could buy them what's called the bacon clock. The bacon clock, it wakes you up to not only the sound... But the smell of cooking bacon. Okay. Yeah. That is kind of cruel and usual punishment, though, because once you wake up and there's no bacon, I mean, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, I'm smelling the bacon. I just don't have the bacon. Okay. Well, so much for waking up from our physical sleep. But what about our spiritual sleep? What can we do to wake up the inner man or the inner woman inside of us spiritually? Because it's so easy to become spiritually sleepy, especially when stuff is going on around us like it is uh, in our lives here today, especially when we see how busy life itself can be. That's when we can forget our real purpose As believers here, this side of heaven, we are all called to be vessels of honor that God has desired us to be. Now, a vessel that God wants us to use, he wants to use us because we need to be ready to speak of his glories of our relationship with him. Now, if we don't speak of these glories of the relationship with God then who else would speak of those glories? If his own children aren't speaking of them, who else would do that? You know, maybe us as believers, you know, sometimes we can forget that Christianity was not just meant to be a spectator sport. Being a Christian puts us involved with what the work is that God wants to do here on this side of heaven, yes. For God never called us to sit on the sidelines of life, and simply watch our world go by us, you know, as it continues to, at this point, is spinning out of control. See, God has always desired his people, and that is those of us who are called by his name, to awake and to arise, And as we look at the book of Ephesians, or just take a little snapshot out of the book of Ephesians, so let's look at our first point here, be imitators of God. As we read here, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Obviously, I'm reading now the New American Standard, and it has a very clear picture of what exactly he's trying to say here. Now, notice we are called as Christians, again, to be imitators of God. Now, that word imitators is from the Greek word mimetus, and it's where we get our English word mimic, which you could imagine. And it's to imitate. It's to act in the same way. That's why we are called to live our lives. Now, understand, those who have rejected Christ as their Savior, those who are not believers, they're not called to do this. They're not called to imitate God. They can do whatever they want to do. However lifestyle they want to live, they can do whatever. They can choose to live in any sin that they desire to live in. But obviously, in the end, they're going to have to stand before God. And the Bible says that they will be judged for everything that they have done, everything that was good and everything that was bad. But if we, you and me as believers, as professing Christians, you know, meaning that we have asked Jesus Christ in our heart as our Savior, then of course we know that it's not going to be that type of a judgment for us because we've been forgiven of our sin and we have the promise of eternal life inside of us in heaven. And in this life, though, we are called as believers to be imitators, to be mimics, to imitate God. We are called to bear his likeness in our life. We are called to emulate his characteristics inside of us, meaning I don't want people just to look at me and just see me. I want people to look at me, and you should have people look at you and see the Lord inside of you, something more than, than than what's just you. Yes, people should be able to look at our actions, which we call the fruit of our life, and see what our God really looks like by looking at us. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Now, I wonder if that is happening in our lives, are we living our lives in such a way where people can see some kind of sign, some kind of glimmering hope, something that's like something bigger than us, and say, gee, you know, I've been watching your life, and I've noticed that you're not like me. You don't act like the other people I see. Or do they look at you, and, and you just look like them? So they would never question anything because you're just like them. See, I know that we all fail at times and we all fall short i mean of course we do we're not perfect there's times that the flesh comes out and this and that but the question is is the thrust of your life though is it bringing glory to the lord see there should also be that that willingness inside of us and this is where bible study and coming to churches you get stimulated to be more than what you would be on your own You get encouraged to be more. Because again, it's, you know, we're asking, is there a willingness in your life to be that bearer of light? Remember, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Let your light now so shine before men. It's not really our light, it's Him inside of us, and we're just allowing it to fall and flow out of our life. But we're to shine in this dark world. Now, understand, this has always been God's desire. For humanity. Consider what God spoke to Moses all the way back in the book of Leviticus in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God. He said in Leviticus 18:1, he says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you live. So he's taken the people out of Egypt, but they haven't yet rested in the promised land yet. And so he's saying, I don't want you to do what you did back in Egypt and what those people did, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. So the people that live in the land where I'm gonna give you, don't do what they do, and don't do what the people did back in Egypt. He says, I want you to not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them I am the Lord your God. So he's saying, don't do what these people did where you came from. And where the people where you're going, don't do what they do. See, Egypt always did what? It represented the world. And God makes it very clear that we are to live in this world, but we're not to act like this world. Now, why is that? Again, because our lifestyle, the way that we live on a day in and day out basis, the way that we act is what separates us from this world. And that's what empowers the message that's within us. See, Jesus said when giving the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, we know that's never going to happen in its entirety, but we are to start aiming for that. That should be the goal. That should be what we're shooting for. That's what the Bible records in 1 Peter 1.14. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts, which are yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy as I am holy, God said. So the desire, not that it always happens in perfection, of course, because it's not, we're going to mess up at times, but our thrust of our lives should be, I want to be like daddy. I want to live like him, act like him, talk like him, be like him. Okay. So we're going to mess up every now and then, but what about the rest of the time? What about the 80% of the other time or the 75% of the time or the 90% of the time? See, we want that to be our calling card where we are holy even as he is holy. And when people see us different than them, that's, again, what empowers our message. Because anyone, any dead fish can float downstream, right? It's like the river, the the current's going. Yeah, dead fish, he's just floating down like everyone else. So we're in this dead world, and if you're going to get caught up in the current of the world, you're going to float down like everyone else. But it takes a live fish to swim against the current. And I don't know if you've ever been in a river with a current was pretty heavy it's like you know it's fun to swim down river (laughs) but when you turn around to swim up river you know i've shared this before but my friend's dad had a house you know at the river the colorado river so we would go there almost every other week and i would go with him and you know i'd hang out with him and his family and whatever and so we would go to the river and uh, they had this you know train crossing and we would swim out to the to the base of the train crossing of the for the railroad tracks it was a huge base and we would climb up this thing and we jump off on this end and this thing is probably I don't know 30 feet long 40 feet long so we would jump in here by the time you went under the water came back up the current was moving so fast because I think the current in the Colorado River there was moving about 6 miles an hour so you'd be swimming down and by the time you came up you had to swim with all your might to get to the other end of this thing to climb back up on it to get back to the other side again so I mean you would get down but when you tried to swim against that current I mean it was everything you had or you're going to be down a long way if you don't make it back to the base of that thing. So again any dead fish can follow the current of the world but when you're alive in Christ and you're going against the current you're going against what's politically correct all of a sudden people see that and they respect that because everyone else just goes whatever's politically correct that's where the whole thing with twitter and facebook and people get on there and you have to say everything that's right or you'll get smashed by other people but yet christians are called to stand for what's right and for what's upright and all of these things yes yes god created us in his image That just goes to show you that man is his ultimate creation. When God came to the earth, he didn't come as a unicorn. Those don't exist anyway, but he didn't come as an animal. He came as a man because we were created in the image of God. So he came as a man. And we have not evolved from animals. We are not some type of a hybrid form of an animal We, again, were created in the likeness of God himself. Now, some might say, well, how can I be obedient to the point of perfection? Isn't that like crazy here? I'm a sinner, and I live amongst sinners, you might say. I seem to fail more than I succeed from day to day. My life is a constant struggle, you might say. Yet know this, the verse that Peter penned should be a huge encouragement to each in every one of us. Why? Because Peter penned it. I mean, he says, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior. Why? Because now Peter, he was a guy just like us. So he's the one writing this. Be holy as unto the Lord. But it was Peter that wrote it. And Peter failed so many times that we see in the scripture. He had many flaws, you could say. I mean, Peter was flamboyant. He was definitely on the impetuous side, and he had a unique ability of putting his foot into his mouth. He always seemed to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. I guess you could say he had a a case of hoof and mouth disease, okay, because he always put his foot into his mouth. But think about the day that the Holy Spirit of God directly spoke in and through Peter and gave him great insight into who Jesus was. You know, it's like going to Caesarea Philippi. It's just a, you know, really cool place in Jerusalem. So you walk up to Caesarea Philippi and there's all these carvings on, on the, on the top and in this whole cliff and, and everyone's worshiping and burning incense and all of these things. So you walk up and you think, oh man, look, and they're worshiping all these different gods and everything. And that's where Jesus turns to his disciples and say, well, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, you know, some say, you know, you're Jeremiah, Elijah, you know, they say you're one of the prophets. He goes, oh, okay. Well, who do you say that I am? So now Jesus is making it personal. Who do you guys, you've been walking with me, you've seen miracles, you've seen all kinds of crazy stuff happen. Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that steps up and says, You're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior. I mean, he just nailed it on the head. And, of course, Jesus says, well, you know, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. That was my father in heaven gave you that little insight. That's exactly who I am. I am the Messiah. I am the savior. But then it was right after that that Jesus started talking about how he needed to die and he was going to die and and, and be buried and raised again, you know, from the dead. And and he's going to carry the sin of the world upon his body. And Peter, the same guy who was just getting, you know, patted on the back by Jesus. Hey, good job, Peter. That's exactly who I am. I mean, just moments later saying, get behind me, Satan. Because, you know, Peter was saying, no, no, that's not good. That's not a good move, Lord. You don't want to go die on the cross. That's kind of bloody. It's messy and all of that. That's not a good thing. Don't do that. And all of a sudden now Jesus has to rebuke Peter. He's like, no, I have to go to the cross. That's why I came. I came to bear the sin of the world upon my body. And so we can see how fast it can just change inside of ourselves. So, of course, we're all going to mess up. Peter messed up. Yes, even though most of us would have never picked Peter as a disciple, Jesus picked him as a disciple. See, Jesus saw what nobody else could have ever seen in Peter because when Jesus first picked Peter. He saw him not as the fisherman there on the boat on the Sea of Galilee on the beach at Capernaum. He saw Peter as a finished product. And right now, you know, maybe you're not that finished product yet. But yet Jesus is working with you and he's going to continue to work with you. So it's like Jesus sees us as that finished product filled with the Holy Spirit. Led by the Holy Spirit and obedient, hopefully, to the Holy Spirit of God. I wonder if we were honest with ourselves here, if we wouldn't also all come up short. Well, of course, we would come up short. We all have flaws to keep us from being used by God. But fortunately for you and for me, God sees us just like he saw Peter as the finished product who will become. With his help, everything that we're called to be. That's what I love so much about Philippians 1, 6, where he says, Look, I'm confident. I know that I know this very thing, that God, who began a good work in me, he's going to complete that work in me until the day I get home to be with Christ Jesus. Yes, Peter had many many up-and-down experiences in his life. Maybe Peter's life would resemble a roller coaster, high highs and low lows. Yet Peter, guess what? He made it. He made it to the end, and he finished strong. In fact, he finished so strong that church history tells us that when they crucified him, he says, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord, so he was crucified upside down. Because he loved his Lord so much. And God used him boldly. Yes, in the same way that God used Peter, God can use us. But part of God's calling is for us to imitate him. To be an example of Christ in our everyday life to the everyday people that are around us. I have to catch myself at times, you know, something will start happening and, you know, things start getting set up and you start getting a little hot under the collar, you don't like what's happening, this, that, and whatever, and then you can feel yourself like, you know, the hair is starting to kind of, you know, get a little, uh, you know, and and I have to catch myself and then I'm like, okay, I have to, you know, watch what I say here, you know, because I don't want my flesh just to come out. I need to be careful, you know, when my neighbor reacts or says something to me and I kind of want to like, oh yeah, well, sure. Okay, no problem. I want Christ to be seen in my life. Verse two says to walk in love. That's not easy. It's easy to walk in love around people that love you, right? But he's not asking us just to walk in love around people that love us. It's like, hey, if you love those who love you, what, what work was that? I mean, even the the worst sinner does that. I mean, he he takes care of the people that love him. But we're to walk in love around those who aren't lovable. Okay, now that's work, okay? So we're to love one another just like Christ loves us. And again, this isn't easy, Jesus is the ultimate example of this kind of love. And so we so appreciate God's unmerited love for us, of course, because he forgives us, he encourages us. But in the same way, we are to love and to forgive those that are around us. Now, when we do that, it becomes, again, a great witness of God's love for them. As people will wonder, why are you being so loving and so kind? When you forgive someone who obviously doesn't deserve your forgiveness and you forgive them, do you think that's just a pat on your back? No, it's it, it shows like they know you're a Christian. You talk about Christ. And when you do Christ-like stuff, it empowers the message. So people can mock you for being a Christian. People can laugh at you for being a Christian. People can do all these things because you're a Christian. But when it comes time to when the chips are down in their life, and the chips will be down in their life at some point, right? Because the chips are down in everyone's life at some point. They will come to you. Are you going to go to your party animal buddies when you have tragedy in your life? They're as messed up as you are. You're not going to go to them. You need to go to someone who's got a life that's stabilized. And that's what living the life and imitating Christ gives us that open door, you know, so that it opens the door so those very cold hearts can hear. The good news of a God in heaven that
1: loves Him. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to Pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA. All one word to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034.